Welcome to Integrative Conversations, hosted by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy expands knowledge to professionals in the mental health community and beyond using a conscious, experiential, and evidence-based format. Our mission is to deliver comprehensive health and wellness to all by empowering personal and professional growth and confidence. To learn more, visit us at www.academyimh.com. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, this is Laurel Sims-Stewart, content developer with the Academy of Integrative Mental Health and your host for today's conversation. Today, I spoke with Lisa Sutton-Williams about her journey and work with her clients on intuitive eating and the social and racial justice issues wrapped into the diet culture mentality. Intuitive eating is an evidence-based mind-body health approach comprised of 10 principles and created by two dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch in 1995. It is a weight-neutral model with a validated assessment scale and over 90 studies to date. It's thrilling to see all the research and gives me great hope. Intuitive eating is a dynamic integration between mind and body. The principles work by either cultivating or removing obstacles to body awareness, a process known as interoceptive awareness. Essentially, intuitive eating is a personal process of honoring health by listening and responding to the direct messages of the body in order to meet your physical and psychological needs. Here's a clip from Evelyn and Elise discussing their definition of intuitive eating. We have many definitions depending who we're speaking with. The one definition, it's a, it's a mind-body self-care eating framework. And we have over 125 studies now showing really promising benefits of intuitive eating. And uh, we like to look at it as a dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and thought based on the triune brain, which is three parts of the brain. Um, the instinctual part is for survival, the limbic part is for emotions and social behaviors, and then the um, rational part of the brain, the neocortex, is for the thinking. And we put all three parts of that together so that uh, we can tune into our internal signals, our the wisdom that we're born with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'd say underlying that mechanism is interceptive awareness. And that's our ability to perceive physical sensations that arise within the body. And that includes, you know, physical things like feeling a full bladder, but also every emotion has a physical sensation. And so when we are connected to our body, as opposed to being at war with our body, we have really powerful ways to get our, our needs met if we, if we listen. <laughs> Intuitive eating is all about getting to know your body and learning its language so you can read cues and understand cravings. One way to invite clients to explore and understand their body is using somatic approaches in psychotherapy. The Academy just released a new intro to somatic practices course. This course will introduce somatic practices in a clinical setting using a multimedia format, including a three-part webinar workshop facilitated by an experienced, certified somatic experiencing therapist and our academy director, whose training as a massage therapist and personal trainer informs their integrative ecosomatic approach to therapy. You'll gain an understanding of biological trauma responses, learn approaches to somatic theory, practice and explore ideas and tips about therapist regulation and attunement in session. 
you will also have a chance to practice with several guided somatic experiences. This course also highlights specific techniques to use in session, grounding practices, and tools for your own regulation and attunement with your clients. Check out the course if this topic speaks to you. And to make it a little sweeter, for the month of January, we are offering a 15% off discount on all of our online courses. Just use the code NEWBEGINNINGS. That's N-E-W-B-E-G-I-N-N-I-N-G-S. I'm excited to get into our conversation with Lisa Sutton-Williams, so let's go. Our guest today is Lisa Sutton-Williams. Lisa is a licensed clinical social worker and a licensed marriage and family therapist. Her specialties are anxiety, depression, life transitions, and disordered eating. She's currently the only licensed therapist with certification in intuitive eating in the state of Kentucky, and she's also supervisor for up-and-coming clinicians in social work and marriage and family therapy on their way to licensure. Lisa strives to create a calm and inviting environment for her clients and to work with them for their very unique set of needs to find what will work best for them. She believes that through working together, we can move toward healing. She is a passionate advocate for intuitive eating and health at every size, both in her clinical work and in her own life. So let's jump right into our conversation on intuitive eating, diet culture, and social justice with Lisa. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here and to get to talk with you today. This is so great. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm pretty excited myself. Awesome. Yay. Okay. Well, let's just hop right into the first question then. So when we were talking prior to recording our episode, you mentioned that you kind of have your own story that led you to intuitive eating, maybe both as a tool for your clients and for yourself in your own life. And I'm curious if you would be willing to share some about that personal experience that led to those changes in the way that you work with your clients and that you live for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my journey itself kind of started randomly. Um, like I'm, I've been a dieter my entire life as, as most of the world actually is. Um, but I broke my ankle, um, a year and a half ago, a little bit more than a year and a half ago, and I couldn't work out anymore. And so I randomly stumbled upon a podcast while I was trying to fill my time with other things. And it was Christy Harrison's podcast, um, Food Psych. So um, I just happened to listen to it and I was like, huh, so interesting. Why have I never heard anything like this before? Um, So being the kind of person that I am, I dealt all the way into it and tried to find every episode that I thought might fit me and what I'd been through because my things were more of like orthorexia and fitness and working out and how those things kind of intertwined with one another. So I looked at all of those and my mind was completely blown. Like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing all of my life? Um, Because growing up, I was I was a gymnast and, and surprisingly, I never had any of those kind of pressures put on me as a gymnast to like look a certain way or lose weight or do things like that. So I was very fortunate in that respect. But as I got older, it was more like, I think I want to look like them or I want to be smaller or I want to look like this person. And that's kind of where all that kind of diet mentality came for me. And that's kind of how my life was for all of my adult life. 
Um, that's just kind of what happened with me. And I found this podcast and, and Christy Harrison, and I just took a hold of it. And after I saw the changes and transformations that it made in my life, and it continues to make because this is always a process. I was like, I have to share this with other people. Like everybody needs to know what this is and, and, and how you can go about becoming an intuitive eater and gaining some um, embodiment, body positivity, um, haze, all of that. So I just kind of went into it and kind of started my own process of becoming um, a certified intuitive eating counselor. And yeah, this is kind of where it led me, which I love. I love everything about it. <laughs> yeah. I do too. Obviously, you know, we've talked about it together before and Christy Harrison's podcast has been hugely influential for me too. And I'm actually going to, um, I, I had a question where I quote her later on <laughs> in our conversation because I love it so much. So yeah, it's, it's amazing how that shift can feel so big when you have lived for so many years in one world. And I, I sort of, you know, in my own life, I've, I think maybe we've talked, I've sort of likened it to like living in a black and white and then all of a sudden seeing color. And it's just so transformational that shift that happens when you focus on, oh, there's, there's really is a different way to talk about all of this. It doesn't have to be the diet culture mentality, but it can also be kind of unsettling when you start to view it that way too. So I'm, I'm curious if you, you know, there are so many wonderful things that ha- have come from this for me, but it's also been very uncomfortable and, and difficult at times. I'm curious if you felt that way too. Absolutely. Like, again, as I said, as I delved into it and was trying to discover and figure out everything and get all the resources and all the podcasts and all the books, I then wanted to share it with everybody. And I was like, but how do I go about doing that? without being like diet culture and saying, oh, you have to do this. This is way better. You have to do this. You have to do that. Um, So that was frustrating in itself, but also realizing that diet culture is everywhere, like everywhere. Like I wish there was a different way to put it, but it's everywhere. And so just seeing it in this and seeing it in a show, seeing it in a movie, seeing it in a commercial, like you cannot go a day without seeing elements of diet culture all the time. And so, yeah, that was, it was frustrating. It was disheartening. But at the same time, I was like, well, well, of course I subscribe to it. It's in my face all the time. How could I not? When that's what you see all the time, that's kind of what you gravitate toward. Um, So then that balance of wanting to share with people, knowing how to share it with people has still been kind of a struggle because some of my relationships personally were I met through fitness or I met through like, Hey, we're doing this particular diet together. And so you find some commonality, you find some common ground. Um, you just find those things that you connect with and it's like, okay, I'm not eating whatever I'm weighing whatever. And that's how you bond. And so your social networks can shift and change when you're doing something different. And so parts of that I found a little bit isolating, um, because there aren't that many people that I knew of, I knew of when I started my particular journey, I knew two people who knew of intuitive eating, two whole people after going from a really large community of like, 
everybody's dieting and we know all these things. And then I didn't know anybody. And it was hard to talk to other people because they're still in the thick of it. And I still want to be their friends. And, you know, we still have other things in common, but it was no longer diet culture and food and weight loss and comparing my body to somebody else. So that shift has to happen. And a lot of my clients, that happens too. It's like, well, this is how I know them. I know them through this particular program. I know them through this particular gym. Um, And so relationships change and those dynamics change and figuring those out. That's like its own grief and loss stage. Like just being totally honest, that's what that tends to look like because you're going through different things and it's not the same as it as it once looked. So I definitely have experienced those, those challenges and those frustrations throughout this process. Still love it. Still love it, but it is challenging. Yeah. I, I love it too. Um, and it's, you know, you take, you, it's about, I think sitting with that discomfort and also loving it at the same time and learning how to balance those. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it can be hard. So when you talk about that experience, for yourself, but also for your clients of this feels isolating. I'm grieving over this. Like, I don't know what to talk about with people, or I don't know how to bring this up to people. I am really excited about it, but I don't know how to bring it up to people without shaming them or causing them to just immediately go on the defensive. Are there ways that you have found have worked for you or that you sort of lean into as most helpful in approaching that situation or helping your clients approach those situations? Yeah, I think for me, it's just been saying, I found something that works for me. And again, when you're, you're in diet culture, it's like, we don't want you to eat this, 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 and this. That's what we don't want you to do. We don't want you to do this. Well, just turning that around and say, I think I found something that works for me. Not that you have to do it, but if you'd like to know more information, I'd love to share it with you, but I found something that works for me. Thank you so much. Or I can't believe you're doing this. Well, I found that it works for me, but thanks. Like just a gentle way of doing that instead of becoming very similar to diet culture and pushing that on someone else, just inviting that conversation and having it open, but saying this is something that works for me and that's what I'm leaning into right now are things that work for me and my body. And that's the whole idea behind intuitive eating is listening to your body and find what works for it and not falling into healthism, um, as I put it and doing what somebody else told you should work for your body, but listening to what your body is saying is working for you. Oh, this, yes. Beautiful. It's just like, and I think anytime you approach it from that, there's something that's sort of irresistible in that because we live our lives for, for a lot of us being told there are all these rules and we don't fit into this and we feel like a failure. So when you're presented with oh, it can just be about what I need and I can just be listening to myself and my spirit. I mean, I don't, I don't know. For me, I I felt very drawn to that. So I know that it's hard for, I mean, there were a lot of hard elements of it too, but I love the way of approaching that because I think how could you not be at least curious about it in that respect, right? Right. A little curiosity and the freedom that it can bring for people is really quite awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's magical when it really clicks, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when another question that I have for you is how do you, like, what are the intuitive eating 101 sort of concepts for somebody that is like, 
has never heard of it before. So it is about listening to your body, right? But when you start this with someone who's very brand new to it, where do you start? What do you do? Well, just kind of that openness, I kind of Mm -hmm. figure out where they are. And that's kind of what we do for therapy in general, but just figuring out where they are on this path. If they've heard anything about intuitive eating, if they don't know what that's about and kind of letting them know, like the steps and the principles of intuitive eating um, and going through that process with them, maybe starting with, you know, how are, how are you feeling about your body? Um, Do you have, do you feel like you have a healthy relationship with food? That's probably where I start more often than not is just seeing what they think if their relationship is healthy. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Because this is bad and this is good. And I know that. Oh, goodness. So we've probably got some ways to go just right there. But starting off with, do you feel like you have a good relationship with food? That can show you a lot. And when we go from there, I have specific um, kind of worksheets and things that I use because I am a certified intuitive eating counselor that kind of takes me through that process, kind of a step-by-step thing. And you start at a certain area. And that's what that principle one of kind of rejecting the diet mentality. And that's where you kind of have to start to see if you're even ready for the next the next principles in intuitive eating to see if you're ready for that. Because if you're going out of order or we started a different place, we might move a little too fast and we might miss some of the, the nuances of the, the earlier steps. So that's kind of where, where I tend to start. Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's interesting because when I first became interested in it for myself, you know, I read through the principles and I was like, okay, like those all seem, I can understand those. I can conceptualize those, but you're right. Like there actually is a significant amount of nuance in each of them. I mean, if you know, you, you've seen the book, I have read the book. It's very, it's pretty big. (laughs) So it's not, it doesn't, it's not as simple as it might seem on its face or, um, you know, I think some people, upon hearing about it or my my sense is that people who maybe hear about it and it's very difficult for them see it as sort of this you just do whatever you want it's that easy like eat everything you want all the time whenever you want like and it's it's very too too loose I guess for them because they they are really struggling with that but there's there is so much nuance there Um, So what are the most common misconceptions that you've encountered or that you were talking about it right there? Yeah. Intuitive eating is just, you know, you do what you want, eat what you want, whatever you want. And you're promoting something that I'm not going to say, because I don't like the word, Um, but you're promoting things that are, that are not good or not positive somehow by, by doing intuitive eating. And that's, that's not what intuitive eating is. Um, Intuitive eating is how we actually began you know, as a baby, like if you ever held a baby and you try to give it a bottle and it'll eat for a little while and then it pushes it away. And then parents often like, no, you need to eat more. The baby stick the tongue out, push it away because that is the intuitive nature that we're born with when it comes to food. Like we know when we're hungry, when we want to eat things, but as we get older and some of this, you know, when I work with um, parents or of children, that kind of starts that path of not listening to your body because your parents tell you, okay, we've got this plate of food and you need to eat all the things on the plate of food before you can get up. I did it myself. Like that's what we've been taught and that's what we do. But that part right there, T 
teaches our little bodies not to listen to, well, I'm hungry or I'm not hungry. It teaches us not to listen to our intuition because our parents are telling us you need to eat this and you need to eat this much of it before you can do anything else. So that's kind of where that starts, but it's an intuitive process. It's not just, it's very intuitive. It was at one point, but we got out of that. So it's kind of training our bodies and and retraining our bodies rather to listen to what's going on to it. Um, When I first started this kind of intuitive eating process, myself, like many people, after having so many foods kind of off limits um, and I've restricted for so long, I went back to all those foods that I didn't allow myself to eat. And that's all I was eating. That's it. But at one point, I was like, I'm going to go get this muffin from this place and it is awesome and I love it. I was driving and my body told me, and this was like a turning point for me. It was like, you don't actually want that. You actually want a smoothie. Excuse me? What do you mean? I don't want this muffin from my favorite muffin that I absolutely adore. I wanted a smoothie. Went and got a smoothie and I was like, oh my gosh, that was so satisfying. That's actually what I wanted. So you might start this process of intuitive eating, eating all the things you had once restricted because, you know, that's kind of how that works. We've got this restrict binge cycle and I'm sure we'll get into that too. But you want all those things that you didn't allow yourself to have. But at some point, your body will tell you, hey, you probably want something different now. And that's the whole part behind intuitive eating is listening to your body. But you have to find a certain attunement to your body and that um, interoceptive awareness to know what your body's actually telling you. And that is the process. And that's the work that I try to work with my clients on. Yeah, absolutely. I I actually would love for you to tell us a little bit more about that restrict binge cycle. And because I think that's where the fear comes in for a lot of people that I've talked to is, well, they're already, we already are feeling afraid. I can't have these foods in the house. I'll never stop eating. I, I will literally eat pizza every day for the whole rest of my life. If I allow myself to order a pizza, you know, and so it takes time and confrontation of that fear to move into a more intuitive space. Like you're talking about where you can actually listen to your body and your body might tell you, Oh no, you want something totally different. And if it's a muffin, that's great, but maybe it's a smoothie, right? Um, So yeah, maybe can you talk a little bit more about that restrict binge cycle for for people who have never heard um, about that before? Yeah, absolutely. So basically that restrict binge cycle is a diet. (laughs) Anything that tells you you cannot have something or you can only have this and you can only have it at a certain time is a diet. And that sits you, puts you into that kind of restrict binge cycle because these foods are off limits to you. And so something inside of us innate is like, I really need that. I want it. It's off limits. I need to get to it. And that's where some of those kind of sneaky behaviors um, come into play. Um, Eating a lot at night or having this kind of last meal before a diet, because you know, you're about to restrict those things. So when you restrict Inevitably, when those things are placed in front of you again, you want to eat them. And so that's that binge portion. And then that's what you feel bad that you ate the foods that you restricted. And then you restrict again. And then you binge again. And then you restrict again. And that is that fun little diet cycle that does not work. 
And that's how we get to where we are. Because in most people, and when we're talking about weight, which I don't necessarily talk about, but if you think about when you started your first diet, where your weight is now is probably more than what it was when you initially started your diet because of that restrict binge cycle itself. Because you usually put on more after you've restricted because you've binged. And then you're in this other space and where you try to do it over and over again. Um, so with intuitive eating, you're, you're trying to create this, you know, kind of system of like food is food, not good food, not bad food. Food is just what it is. And so trying to get people to see that and remember that um, is really quite important. Yeah. I, and I appreciate you breaking that down because I think knowing how that works helps helped me to face that fear of giving myself unconditional permission to eat. Like knowing that if I give myself unconditional permission, it's not just a downward spiral into nonstop binging forever, but it will actually help me work out of that cycle. Right. Yeah, so because once those foods are available to you, there's no need to binge on them or to do any kind of sneaky eating or eat, you know, here or there because food is food and you're allowed to have it whenever you want. You know, it's not like, okay, I can only have, um, and this idea of cheat meals. If it's a cheat meal, oh goodness gracious. There need not be a cheat meal because all food is food and it's there for you to enjoy. Um, so yeah. So if you feel like there's a food that maybe at one point you were uncontrollable around, it's probably because you had restricted it for so long. And then when it comes back into play, that's that whole kind of binge cycle. So I'm uncontrollable. And people say that like, I don't feel safe around these foods. Well, that's because more than likely because you've restricted for so long or you weren't allowed to have it for so long. Like, have you ever seen people go on a particular kind of diet where they weren't allowed certain foods for this amount of time? And then the day right after they eat all the food they couldn't have? restrict binge. Like that's a prime example of what, of what that looks like. Um, and so trying to help people understand that process and not having this kind of demonization of foods, um, is something that I am super passionate about after being in the throes of diet culture for, you know, 20 plus years. Yeah, I agree. And it's so freeing once you do have permission, real permission to enjoy food and not fear it. And I love that about this, this model and this way of living. I think it's, it brings back the joy to so much, you know, I just, it's, it, that's what it kind of boils down to for me. It's like, I can actually enjoy things because I think even when you've been on a diet and you have either that like you were talking about that last supper right before or the finally the day after you're done um, and you get to eat all the things that you have been waiting to eat. Like there's still not full joy in that because you're considering those foods bad and you like are shaming yourself probably as you're eating them. Right. So I think it takes away that shame around you. Absolutely. And then I think a part of that is at some point, 
you think those foods will no longer be available again because you will cycle yourself back into, you know, whatever diet mm-hmm. or restrictive thing that you were doing. So you're like, I have to eat it all now and I have to eat it, you know, on your cheat day. I have to eat it all on Saturday and Sunday so I can go back. I mean, that's, that's just setting you up to continue to do that type of pattern of behavior for a really, really long time. So the freedom that comes with knowing this food is here for me. And that's a whole nother thing about, you know, like accessibility um, to, to food and like food shortages and food insecurity. That's a whole different, that's a separate thing. That's a very privileged stand. So that's a separate thing. But from what we're talking about, like knowing you have this food and it's available to you and the scarcity of it is not there any longer because there's not a diet or restrict binge cycle that you need to go through. And I'm actually glad you brought that piece of the food insecurity um, into the conversation because I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the social justice aspects of this. And I know that you had mentioned when we talked before that that's part of what you're interested in and passionate about and um, the racial justice aspects of it too. So um, I, I, when I was re- rereading the fourth edition of Intuitive Eating and the introduction, you know, they write that this book was written by two cisgender white women within privilege who feel grateful for the many privileges each acknowledges. And then like later on in the same page, they say, Intuitive eating is one tool and we are constantly learning and striving toward radical inclusivity. And then this is where I went back and I was listening to the Christy Harrison podcast and she, uh, uh, the episode where she interviewed Evelyn Tripoli and Evelyn talked more about the problematic nature of research around disordered eating being mostly on cisgendered white women and how she sees and acknowledges that problem and is actively like trying to work with people to figure out how to address that. And so what are, for you, I I just want to hear your thoughts on that really. Like, where do we start with this? What are some of the primary places problems that you see, places we do get started on that related to the racial and social justice issues inherent in diet culture? I know that's a huge question, but I just want to hear where you want to start with it. Well, yeah, I think for me, I didn't even necessarily realize all of that um, to a certain extent. Um, The diet culture is racist. Like just, that's just what it is. Like if you don't care, you know, like diets and diet culture and this thin ideal and this ideal body type, it's very Eurocentric. That's just what it is. So even on my best day, I would never fit to the standards that diet culture has set because I'm, I'm not white. I'm not thin bodied. That's just not, I'm not going to fit that. I don't care what I do. Um, I'm not going to fit in that. So, so noticing that, and I think Christy does a really good job of giving some historical um, background into that as well as, um, fearing the black body. I don't know if you've read that. Um, but Sabrina strings dives right into where all of this, um, kind of even began. And so really looking at, at those and, and seeing how the, the body types of like Africans came into play as something like, well, if you look like that, that's a bad thing. You know, when Europeans came over, it's like, this is, you don't want to look like that. And so we want to have this thin, ideal Eurocentric ideal 
And this is what you need to do in order to do that. And some of those foods that we have now placed into this kind of high esteem, when you look at healthism, it's a very elitist. Like kale is over here and collard greens are over here. Guess what? They're both greens. Yeah. Perfectly fine. Um, So yeah, kind of the demonization of cultural foods in general is something that I'm even, I'm looking more into because that happens a lot with kind of the diet culture and kind of elitism. Like, you know, for maybe Asian culture, you might have more rice. Well, now we're, we're eating quinoa because that's better. And that, you know, it's just real elitist and it gets kind of icky when you think about it, like lack for a a better therapeutic word. It's icky when you really look at it Um, because we're demonizing foods in general, but then we're demonizing cultural foods and kind of playing them against um, one another. And when you take away people's like culture and kind of demonize that, like that leaves them in a place of feeling like, well, I definitely don't belong here because I can't eat the things that I grew up on. I can't eat pho. I can't eat rice. I can't eat, you know, Thai food. Like I can't eat any of, I can't soul food. I can't eat that because that's seen as like not good. Um, so really delving into that and seeing like these kind of cultural foods somewhere along the way, we have demonized those and made those not these healthy foods when that's how people lived. Like that's how people survive. That's what's accessible to them. That's the same thing right now. You know, to say that in my privileged stance, even I don't, I don't think I want this particular food I have in my house. I can go out and get something else. That's not always accessible to you. And so that's when like noticing you eat what you can, what's available to you. And that's still a part of intuitive eating. So just saying like, well, you get what you want and you always do that. That's the intuitive eating part. No, it's noticing what you have available to you. What's within your budget. Um, what provides for the people that live within your house, taking into account allergies or anything like that, like that all plays a part into intuitive eating. Um, And so that racial component is still, is still there. And that's a a part of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, back to that, the Christy Harrison podcast with Evelyn, um, you know, she mentioned in that interview, you know, if you are food insecure, you're not going to probably crave a salad. Your body is going to crave something that is going to stick with you for longer and is going to fill you up. And I mean, of course, if I'm food insecure, I'm not going to crave a salad because I'm, I'm going to be, you know, my body is going to want things that it knows are going to last a long time and that are full of all kinds of different energy. So I'm really glad that you're speaking about that and all of the, and I think the cultural foods component is something that's really important to consider too. Like, and that's something that um, I would really like to learn more about because I, I agree. And it's not as a white woman, that's not something that I've had to confront as directly, you know? And so it's, it's easy for me to not see that. And so I think it is something that's crucial to pay attention to if we're really trying to be inclusive um, in how we approach our practices too, even like not just for ourselves, but for our clients. Um, so are there um, in that and in this 
I, large idea, this huge question that I asked you, um, and you did a beautiful job of answering. Are there specific things that you wish more mental health professionals knew or were taught or paid attention to when it comes to racial justice and social justice and how these shape our relationships with food um, and diet culture, you know, aside from the food, the, the cultural food piece and, and the food insecurity piece. For one, I just think they should acknowledge that these things actually exist. It's because it's so easy to, to minimize like, Oh, well, that's, you know, that's not a really, that's not a big thing to you or that should matter. Or like you, you're, you know, you, make a lot of money or you're, you know, a higher socioeconomic status. So that, that, you know, that doesn't bother you. No, like these things affect all kinds of people. And so just acknowledging that that is a thing and not kind of minimizing any parts of anybody's culture related to anything, whether it's, you know, intuitive eating or if it's anxiety, depression, anything like that. So not minimizing those things and really, and really taking that into account and being open and wanting to talk about those things. Um, you have to create a space where people want to talk to you. So if you're shutting down people about these kinds of things, they're not going to want to open up to you. They're not going to feel comfortable talking to you about anything. So I think that's one of the, the most important things. It's just that, that bit of acknowledgement that these things actually exist. And you also have to do your own work. Like asking other people, like, so tell me about, like, that's fine but I'd rather you do your own work because you're just as invested in this process, not just asking somebody else to do it and tell you all the things about it. Do some of your own work and, and be just as invested in it as somebody else would or somebody that looks different than you. Um, I think that's really, really big thing. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I think that that's, that's very well said and important to pay attention to and to really sit with for a lot of people probably because I'm sure that that's not comfortable for for many people but it's worth it um so I I do appreciate that um when it comes to that is there you know I want to make sure we're covering every piece of that that you feel is important is there anything else that comes to mind as far as you know I'm even wondering like you mentioned Sabrina Strings and fearing the black body. And, and I think um, that's an important component as well, not just the food piece, but like the health at every size piece and considering body shape and size and how we interpret those things and our own sort of internalized bias um, in a Eurocentric way about what bodies are good bodies and what, what bodies are quote unquote, not good. And um those ideals, like, where do we go with that? Where do we start with that for somebody who's not familiar maybe with these kinds of concepts or who are, who are trying to learn or are new to, to this, these ideas? Well, I think part of that is, again, doing more of that research. So if you want to mm -hmm. look at Sabrina's book, mm -hmm. um, Fearing the Black Body, yeah. um, finding some diverse spaces to kind of put yourself into. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the same for like, I tell people when we're looking at like their social media feeds, like, what does mm -hmm. that look like? Mm -hmm. Does it, is everything on there is something that looks just like you and has the exact same viewpoints? 
you might want to change that up. That's the same with social justice, any kind of racial views, any of that stuff, food, bodies, you need to diversify your feeds. That's what I tell my people. I'm like, that's something that you should really, really do. Um, and the body is not apology. I don't know if that's a book that you've just amazing. Um, and that taps more into your body and like owning the parts of your body that are yours and just really, really honing in on that. But those bodies look different. All bodies are good bodies. Um, so yeah, just a lot of that and kind of looking at different aspects of your life and seeing where you can change and tweak them, or maybe invite a different perspective in just to think about it, just to, to take it in, maybe do a little self-discovery in that and see how it impacts you or how it doesn't impact you. And just because something doesn't impact you doesn't mean it's not important or impactful to other people. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and I, it's interesting because I think that's where a lot of that internalized fat phobia can come into play too. Of Like sometimes it can even be, you know, scary to, to think about diversifying because that's so like new to so many people of like, Oh, all bodies are good bodies. Like I should, I should, I should expose myself to that. I should make sure I'm like leaning into that and reaching for that. Like, Ooh, that, that can be really scary for a lot of people. And I know I've encountered that with my own clients of just like that fear of, Oh wait, but if I do this, will I start to gain weight? Like, will I, is that, is that going to happen to me? Like what's going to happen to my body? And so I think there's so much to unpack there on an individual level, but that is, that is really scary. That is fat phobia itself. The fact that you have to ask like, well, am I going to get weight? Because somewhere within your mind, if you do, that is bad. And again, bodies are bodies. But yes, I have a lot of people that kind of say like, well, will I gain weight? You might. You might lose weight. You might gain weight. But your body is still your body. So if I can get you to love and appreciate your body the way it is, not the way it was 10 years ago, not the way you want it to be in five years or in five months, I think we have done our job with you just appreciating your body and what it does for you. Um, So I think that's really, really big. So if you can get anybody to kind of appreciate those things, I think it's important. And and our fat phobia and our fear of all that stuff wouldn't be there because a body would be a body. And again, something that I struggled with for forever, because I'm in a larger body now, larger than I was a year ago. And I had to kind of be okay with that too. And that's still a process for me in itself, but it's something you have to acknowledge. And I have to figure out like, Oh, where did that come from that I thought if I was above this particular size that I'm now bad or I'm not as good as the person that's here? All the things that society has given us, multi-billion dollar industry, you know, that's what it is. They, they keep selling us things that don't work. But if your doctor <laughs> were to tell you like, hey, going to give you this medicine. It really only works about 5% of the time. Would you keep taking it? You might take it once, maybe, but would you keep doing it? But that's what we do with diet culture. 95% of people gain all of their weight back and then some. 
because this diet is just this cycle of restrict binge and it's not designed to like actually work for us. It's an industry. It's a business. And I hate that so many people are falling into it and continue to fall into it. Like, like I was, I was one of those people. Absolutely. All in it. Um, but being able to see things a little differently with haze and intuitive eating, it's just been really, really freeing. And I'd love for other people to experience that too. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm encouraged by people like you and other people who are in like helping to provide this information and like have these conversations because I'm very hopeful that this continues to grow bigger and maybe someday can grow bigger than the bigness of diet culture. You know, I know, I know that's like a long-term goal, (laughs) but, but that's why I'm so thankful for, for people like you and um, Evelyn and Elise who wrote the book and, and just like all of these people who are working, doing the work to fight against that. Cause I do think it's so important, obviously <laughs> wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, so we've kind of come to the point where now that we've had some time to talk about some different things, if there's anything left that you hold in your heart and your soul and your spirit that you want to say or speak about, um, let's, let's do it because, um, I, I'm, there's no way that I could ever ask the perfect question to get to everything that someone, someone wants to talk about and someone wants to say. So I'm curious if there's anything else that is coming up for you that you just really want to spend some time on. Oh gosh. I don't even know because I could talk about this stuff forever. For sure. Like, absolutely. It's just, I just think it's life-changing. That's really what I think it is. And I think it's really cool when people are able to tap into that. Like today, like all of my people that I saw today were dealing with kind of some embodiment issues and wanting to work on intuitive eating. And so just to see that little glimmer of a change in them, like, okay, this is who I am and this is okay. I'm not bad because I am this size or this size or, or that size. Um, I think it's really cool to see. It's just a matter of everybody kind of being being careful with the ways that you go about sharing this information. Because like I mentioned initially, it can look very similar to diet culture where you start shaming people for not doing a certain thing. But just realizing all bodies are good bodies, whether they're super thin bodies, if they're really fat bodies, like all bodies are good bodies. And so just trying to remember that and acknowledge that, but also give yourself some grace, like through this process and any other time, like giving yourself some grace is one of the biggest things. Cause you're going to have some ups and downs. Things are going to wax and wane. Like it's not just going to be this super cute linear trajectory that you're going on. You're going to have some things in there that are going to challenge you. Um, that, that might even want to make you go back to diet culture. So that, that's a pretty big thing right there. Some people notice their body changing in ways that they don't necessarily want it to. So their initial response is, well, if I just lose this amount of weight, then I'll, I'll feel fine. I'm like, but that's how we got here. And kind of talking them through like, well, remember, this is how we got to this place because you had done that for so long. And then 
your body wasn't still wasn't doing what you wanted it to do. Um, and just acknowledging, like, again, if that, that whole thing about bodies being good bodies, if you look back to, for some of the people that I work with, I ask them to look back at a picture of themselves maybe 10 years ago and what they look like. And more times than not, they're much smaller. If I ask them, look in that picture at that time, did you, what did you think about yourself? More times than not, it's bad stuff. Like they thought bad things about themselves. So it's not the weight. It's those underlying core beliefs that we have about ourselves that needed to be tweaked and changed. So it's not a weight-based thing. That's what we think it is because society tells us, hey, you need to look like this. If you look like this, then you'll be happier. Those things don't go together. And health is not a weight. Like you can't say that somebody that's this weight is not healthy because it's a larger weight. Just like you can't say somebody that's a smaller weight is healthy because they're at a smaller weight. And I think people think those things are synonymous and they're not. Um, but just being careful with that and not telling people, oh, you're, you're to this or you're to that. Let them do what they're doing with their body and you worry about what you're doing with your body. But also give yourself some grace during that process. Oh, I'm so glad that you said that because I, you know I've experienced some of that in my own journey, like really feeling passionate about it. And so having those moments of almost leaning back into that diet culture of like, no, we have to do it this way. And it's hard because we are, that is, that mentality is like, is so ingrained. And then that idea of looking back at ourselves and did you feel good when you were in a smaller size? No. (laughs) So it's, it's not the size that's a problem. Like, I've experienced that for myself and I know there are other people out there who have too. So I'm so glad that you said that. Cause I think that's so important. Um, yeah. So now we kind of ask the same question for everybody at the end of every episode. Um, which is if, if you feel comfortable, would you be willing to share a practice or a tool or a technique that, that we can sort of experience right now together that might give us a taste of how you actually work um, with your clients or that somebody maybe could use for themselves outside who's, who's listening to the podcast could use? Oh, goodness. Um, I don't think it's something that I could do right here. Okay. It might be a tool that other people could use. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, It's more along the embodiment um, lines about your body and how that feels. Um, So for some of my clients, um, when their bodies are changing, they're having this um, kind of difficulty with clothing. Hmm. Um, So something that I tell them to do is if they're getting new clothes, we're not looking at sizing. We're just taking the clothes and we're trying them on. So I encourage people to try their clothes on, not in front of a mirror. Try them on, put them on, see how they feel first, and then maybe go to the mirror to see if you like it. Because a lot of times we try things on, it's this size, and you put it on, and it doesn't fit, and now you're angry that it didn't fit. But if we change that just a little bit to like, I'm going to try this on, Oh, it didn't, it didn't go past my legs or it doesn't go past my arms. That's okay. Not even going to look at it. I'm going to try on the next one. And if it gets on all the way, 
move around a little bit, see how that feels. Then go to the mirror to see if you actually like it. But yeah, a lot of times I think we try clothes on and it doesn't fit. And so we've already, in our mind, something's wrong now. But clothes are clothes. They're not designed to spit, fit specifically on us. Right. So you can get a different size. You can go up a size. You can go down a size. You can get things tailored. So that is something that I have my clients do just to see how you feel in something first before dismissing it or saying it's, I should fit in this because that happens a lot. It's this size. I should fit. Well, let's just try it on without looking at sizing. Let's put it on and see how it feels on your body because that's how you should be dressing anyway with with a good feeling of, of how it feels on your body, not the size of it. Oh, I love that. I, I um, have never thought to approach it like that, but that is so, I'm going to do that. (laughs) I mean, I I think it's great. I'm going to do that because you're right. It's so easy to get caught up in the mirror and our perception is skewed by so many things when we look in the mirror anyway. So why wouldn't we start with how it feels and how it feels to our body? So that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Well, um, it was amazing having you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I have loved being able to hear from you and spend time learning from you. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I enjoyed it. Like I said, I could talk about this kind of stuff for forever, but I really appreciate you at least allowing me to be on here with you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And I could also talk about it forever. So we may have to have you back on at some point to talk more, if that would be cool. Um, is there, um, any, like, is there any like social media or any website that you would like to share where people can find you and the work that you're doing? Yeah. My website is intentional connections counseling. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, it is intentional underscore connections. Very cool. Well, we will make sure to put that in the show notes too, so that people can get to that easily. And um, again, just thank you so much for your time today. And I look forward to talking again soon. Thanks so much. Yeah. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. Please make sure to check out the show notes for all the resources we mentioned in the podcast and the discount code for 15% off all of our courses in our catalog. We also want to hear from you. Is there a topic you would love to hear about or a person that would be great for our podcast? How can we support you as a mental health professional during these challenging times? Reach out to us at www.academyimh.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Take good, good care of yourself and we'll see you soon.